My full name is Brent Emily Excar Brent Brentthale. My human friends call me Brent. I am a young Fandalite. I have four legs. I also have two arms, and I have a tail, but no torso. As a Fandalite, I have the power to podcast. It's not something we're born with, it's a technology. But we invented it, and we're the only race in the galaxy that has it. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where Jenna and me discuss the Animorphs books by Kay Applegate. This week we're doing book eight, The Alien, uh, our first Axe POV book and different in a number of ways. One being the cold open uh, that that doesn't refrain from telling you his full name. At the beginning of every chapter, it's got these little excerpts from his Earth diary. And it's got a little prologue where we find out a bit about what happens to him on the dome ship before it crashes. So briefly, the gang takes Axe to a movie with hilarious results due to his food obsession and discover that Yerks are starting to starve to death in public and their controller hosts are going crazy and crawling out of their ear and dying. Axe spends most of the book being cagey about the fact that the Andalites apparently are responsible for the Yerks being spacefaring to begin with, then has the idea to modify a nearby radio telescope to send a Z-space communication to the Andalite homeworld who convince him to take the fall for illegally giving humans morphine tech even though it was his older brother Elfingor who did it. He's cut off by the Yurk responsible for sabotaging the transports that have been taking controllers to the orbital Candrona, who gives them the location of the meadow where Visser 3 feeds his Andalite host. The Animorphs stage an ambush, but Visser 3 escapes by ditching his host. Axe and the Animorphs can't bring themselves to kill him, though, and he's recaptured by the Yurks. Afterwards, Axe tells the rest of the group the Andalite's big secret, and also how they eat. The Andalite's biggest secret, how they eat. Yeah, that is the Andalite's biggest secret. This book was so far out of the ordinary for a lot of reasons. I mean, not least of all because it's not really sci-fi horror. It's kind of sci-fi comedy. Yeah, it's it's very like irreverent 80s comedy for most of it. Yeah, there's a lot of like slapstick and like... <sighs> Hijinks. Hijinks, yeah. There are a lot of hijinks. There's a lot of movie-based attendance hijinks and eating things hijinks and very, very, very little to no body horror. Right. Although it, it is their first legitimate assassination attempt. That's true. That's true. I, I Presumably not their last, if I had to guess. But like even the fact that there's that running joke where all the Animorphs want to know how he eats and they're all too embarrassed just to ask. Like the fact that there's a running joke in this book is so weird. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely out of character as far as uh, the books we've read so far go. Even the Megamorph, where his chapters were... I mean, they had about the same writing tone. Not substantially different. Yeah, not not nearly this much lightheartedness, I guess. Yeah, and part of me wonders if that's not uh, K.A. trying to reflect the fact that Axe doesn't really have to be as invested in this fight. Like, it's not his species that's going under. It, he's not uh, at quite as embedded in the horror of the Animorph series. Like, it's not his friends and family who are maybe to definitely controllers. So it is sort of a, a weird break in tone because it can be. Yeah, I mean, he does spend a lot of this book being broody and uh, <laughs> about, you know, how he's stranded there and, and how he has to keep secrets and how he'll never be a real warrior without 
facing Visser three and Bloodsport or something. Yeah. Uh, Andalite Andalite culture apparently, despite their incredible technological progressiveness, is pretty backwards in some ways. Yeah, it's sort of they have sort of a weird like military democracy, which we learn about in this book. So you have like the the prince. And then the war prince, and then I think there was another rank above it. I didn't write down. There are so many fucking, like, uh, terminologies and alien names dropped in this book. I started to make a list and then eventually gave up. So I did not write down this one, but it was prince, war prince, some other rank. And then the top rank uh, of the counselors were elected. They're sort of a mirror to the Yurk hierarchy and how many positions they have. And also how, well, as Axe says it later on in the book, everyone has someone above them. Yeah. I-, I called it a couple episodes ago when we were talking about how the Andalites seem extremely hierarchical. Because, I mean, it seems to be Andalite law that you can't refuse a, a legal order given by your prince. Yeah. I mean, except for Axe, who's like, a, like totally a rebel. <laughs> Axe is just, he's a child soldier. He's the Wesley Crusher <laughs> of, the, uh, of the Andalite fleet. But it's not really made clear. He's the only one there. It's not really made clear exactly how old he is. Yeah, and we get the really important context information that Andalites live to be centuries old. And presumably that's analogous to like human centuries. There is one part in the the pro or uh, yeah, in the prologue where they say Earth minutes not just minutes they say specifically we're 12 earth minutes away from the planet yeah and i i assume that the reason that they're using earth minutes to measure things on an andalite ship is just because that's how axe is transcribing his memory no no i mean they actually say earth minutes whereas later they just say centuries they don't say earth centuries oh okay yeah okay that makes sense so Hmm. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if that was just K.A. didn't want to disrupt the flow of the conversation by interjecting that or if that means something different. I'm not I'm not quite certain. It wasn't consistent enough that I'm certain what that means. Yeah, and we don't really know anything about the Andalite calendar as of yet. Yeah, or or really much about their homeworld at all. We know it's got three moons. Yeah, and grass. And when all of them are in the sky, uh, it's as bright as day. We know that their trees talk. No, we don't know that. Listen. I don't know about that. I think it's made pretty <laughs> Would clear. Would you read the passage in dispute? Yeah, okay. Let me let me look it up here real quick and we'll do a, a quick reading. It's on page 134 of my copy when Axe is running through the woods to the place where he's going to lay in wait to ambush Visser 3 while he feeds his host. I ran and ran till my chest ached from breathing the heavy air of earth. I ran through dried leaves and rustling pine needles. I jumped fallen, rotting logs and skirted patches of brambles. I ran past trees that did not speak like the trees of my own world. Look, I can see, (laughs) reading that sentence, yes, in a vacuum, you could parse that as him saying, I ran by trees like those of my home world, neither of which speak. (laughs) But in context, I don't know why that would be a detail that you would throw in there, because why? Yeah. And and K.A. really is good about adding those sorts of details offhand. In this book especially, because we get a lot of acts mentioning things offhand that are like really important alien details. Oh yeah, like Klingons are real, but they're called something <laughs> They're else. called, oh god, I wrote it down because it was early enough in the book that I was still writing things down. Uh, Ungakik? Ungakik? <laughs> or... Maybe, maybe Ongachik, because it's a C-H, and I've just, I've taken too many European languages for for me to see that and not assume it's a hard sound. Doesn't that, that sounds more alien anyway, Ongachik. 
Yeah, definitely. You get a, a little bit of a click in there. Yeah, so Klingons are real and that's that. And I guess maybe, yeah, maybe the trees on, on their home planet, like, thought speak to them. I mean, I think that's my canon currently. Okay, hey, you know, I'm not here to, to yuck your canon. <laughs> Although, okay, speaking of thought speak, this is a big, big reveal in this book, is that apparently humans specifically can't thought speak. This was a weird one. I, I, I've almost, man, I gotta think that's just one of K's movies. <laughs> I... I cannot imagine it just I would almost swear that Axe thought speaks while in human morph at some point in this series. I don't think he does so because he's so obsessed with verbalizing at least so far. Well, that's true. He does have that oral fixation. Yeah, but there's so there's a part in the book that where let me let me look it up. Yeah, yeah, definitely do a reading because I didn't notice this the first time I went through. And when you uh, pointed it out to me, it blew my goddamn mind. So it's in chapter three, and in this paragraph goes, it was Tobias on patrol far overhead. Of course, no one could answer him. Humans can use thought speech only when they're in a morph, and since I was in a human body, I too was restricted to spoken language. That's so contrary to how I understand thought speech, because I thought it was when you're in a morph, you can thought speech, regardless of whether you're morphing human or not. Are we certain that this isn't just Axe trying to be anthropologically immersed? Mm. Like, because I am being a human today, I am restricted from using thought speech? Maybe. Since I was in a human body, I too was restricted to spoken language. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible that that's what it is. But he does say humans can use thought speech only when they're in a morph. And since I was in a human body. The phrasing makes my eyes bug out. Yeah, it seems to imply that humans lack the capacity for thought speech regardless of whether it's a morphed human or a born human. Which is weird, because when they're morphed into, like, ants and cockroaches, they can thought speech, Yeah, like, what the, what's the out. deal? But flies and dolphins, well, okay, dolphins seem like they should be able to thought speech. Whales can thought speech to humans. Yeah, but, like, it's super weird to me that all of these other animals and all of the alien animals that Visor 3 is used can thought speech but humans can't what's the deal maybe well i mean it might be part of the b plot where axe has decided that he's like the jane goodall <laughs> uh, he's gonna be the jane goodall of human studies <laughs> yeah which i really like he, he decides that since he's an alien on this planet or he's exploring alien cultures i guess more accurately he's going to become a human expert he might not be a great warrior but he'll be a human expert that's a hell of a year abroad yeah no kidding but yeah so i don't know if it's if it's just that or i mean you really could the most obvious reading is that humans once again have a a weird uniqueness and it could be related to the fact that like he he brings up several times in the book that humans once they discover something take off like a shot maybe it's somehow linked to that hmm. or the, the inward focus nature of humans is so intense that thought speech is just not possible in this physical form regardless of whether you're morphed or not but it also propels intensely accelerated technological development yeah i that, that's an interesting perspective I, I i think the the books would support that sort of reading because the 
the books are really explicit, or Axe especially is really explicit, that he's surprised at how quickly humans go from discovering the base root of an idea like flight to landing on the moon. Like, he's very impressed with our, our turnaround. We're a very efficient species, I guess, according to Andalites. Yeah, he, he makes mention that it took the Andalites like 300 years, I think, to get from flight to space flight. I think, yeah, he says three times as long. Ah, okay. And he, uh, it's funny, at the beginning of the book, he, he mentions this, that humans develop stuff very quickly as sort of a, a little pat on the head to his human buddies and hmm. definitely makes sure to mention that, of course, they'll never be as great as Andalites. Yeah. But then by the end of the book, he up and admits to the rest of the Animorphs that at some point they'll surpass them. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective because we, we get this sort of insight into the Andalite Yerk history and how i mean because the yurks have a lot of mean things to say about the andalites and the andalites have a lot of mean things to say about the yurks but it's interesting to see them positioned as almost as these almighty space creators who gifted the yurks this technology that they abused and i feel like the yurks to a certain extent they're they're the little brother they are the jake and in this jake and tom or the axe in this axe and Elfangur relationship where they're, they were given this gift that they never really earned and now they have an inferiority complex about it. Yeah, th this is, let's talk about Ciro's kindness. Yeah. Because this is the first book where we are introduced to that idea and it's going to be tremendously important throughout the rest of the series. The, the uh, story that we're told is that Ciro, an, an Andalite prince, was the one who felt really bad for the Yerks because they were trapped on their shithole planet. In the body of the Geds. Yeah, the Geds, who are like mostly blind and just uh, it's weird that Ciro was like yeah okay you've dominated one race so let's give you space flight and I assume that you'll be cool with that guys like be cool right mm. right be cool <laughs> that's covered more in the Andalite Chronicles that we'll get into later I'm not 100% certain when we're going to read those yeah because they were technically earlier in the continuity than we're at now there is a recommended order that uh, Angry Area on Twitter shout out to Angry Area on Twitter <laughs> recommended that we put them in so we'll probably slot them in there okay. But yeah, so so we'll find out more about that. It seems weird on its face, though, that he thought, oh, yeah, they've they've dominated the one other race on their planet. Mm. So surely they won't do anything shady with space technology. Yeah. And I mean, even that is a reflection of the Andalites weird sort of value system, because they they it suggested that the Geds are probably not very sentient. But as Axe puts it, Ciro felt empathy for the Yerks because the Yerks were very intelligent, but they were restricted by the bodies they were in and couldn't really I expend their intelligence as, as much as this Andalite thought that they should be able to. So even that's an interesting reflection on sort of Andalite values of like, you're intelligent, therefore you deserve to succeed, even though your morality and I mean, their morality is pretty rough. It's hard not to sympathize with them to a certain extent because they are slugs that can only really experience the world by inhabiting bodies. It's a complicated, it's complicated. Uh, yeah, it's it's a surprisingly nuanced situation for the age group that these books are targeting. Yeah. We have up till this point seen Yerkes primarily as snidely whiplash-esque mustache twirling villains. <laughs> yeah, especially Visor 3. He, Visor 3 would morph into a human with a mustache just to twirl it. Oh, absolutely. I'm surprised that he doesn't grow like an Andalite mustache. I guess maybe they can't. He'd morph, morph just the mustache part. <laughs> God, can we get that fan art too? Oh, can yes. We get an, Andalite, <laughs> an Andalite with like a very good 
stash, a very like thick, rambunctious stash. We will put that on andalitetruth.org for sure. <laughs> so yeah, the Ciro's kindness is what they call this, this their great regret that they gave this advanced technology to the Yerks and they turned around and started dominating entire star systems with it. They find it so shameful that it's become like their primary law. Yeah, it's like the basis upon which a lot of their civilization and their interactions with other civilizations seems to be built that they can't give out technology to quote unquote inferior or, or I mean, it's the prime directive. Like they're not supposed to, they, they can interfere. They're just not supposed to like help or intercede with development, I guess. Yeah, it's mentioned that uh, they served as advisors to the Hork-Bajir during their war against the Yerks. Yeah, one Andalite in specific that we meet, Lyrum or Lyrum. The one that makes Axe take the fucking fall for uh, Elfangor breaking the law. Yeah, okay, so Ciro's uh, kindness is such a huge deal to the Andalites that the, the high government official, Secretary of Communication or something. Yeah, something. That Axe gets on Z-Space when he finds out that Elfangor gave this morphine technology to the humans since since the Andalite forces there were destroyed. He's like, well, you know, that would tarnish his name. Uh, that could never be forgiven for a prince to do that. But you know, if a cadet did it in the <laughs> fog of war. nobody kid did it. Yeah. So I'll ask you again, who was it that gave them the morphine technology? Yeah. <sighs> and X, X, I mean, X does it because he's a good soldier, I guess. I guess that's why. He's a good brother. Yeah. And I mean, a good enough brother to want to fulfill this Andalite revenge pact, this Andalite vendetta against Visor 3 for killing his brother. Well, yeah. I mean, they have this whole weird ritual that he does every morning where he offers his life to the service of the Andalites by putting his tail blade at his throat. It's very edgelordy. It's a little creepy. Super hot topic. It's a little, it's a little cultish. Yeah. Yeah. But we do get, I mean, we do get a pretty dramatic scene at the very, not at the very, very end, but at the end of the book where uh, uh, Axe morphs into a rattlesnake and waits in this meadow where Visor 3 is known to feed his Andalite body, uh, since they've established that the end, uh, the, the controller, the host bodies need to be fed as much as the Yerks do. He waits as a rattlesnake and waits for Visor 3 to get close and then poisons him with a couple of very good well-placed strikes and 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 visor three's like what? i don't know what, what was that gosh some kind of snake like like he has no idea about venom like fuck it, visor three read like read a fucking book like educate yourself about this planet you're taking over he staunchly refuses visor one would have known what the fuck mm. was up yeah, Visor three would, Visor one would have seen it coming and been like, "Hey, that's a rattlesnake. Maybe I should not be here." Visor three is just like, "Whatever. It's a meadow. What could possibly hurt me here? Everything, Visor. Everything." Oh yeah. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> oh yeah. For for those who aren't reading along with us, uh, the big secret about how Andalites eat is that they crush up grass under their hooves, and their hooves absorb the nutrients. Yeah. And they also, they dip their feet into water to drink water. Yeah, they drink water through their hooves. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. <laughs> um, speaking of rattlesnakes, though. So yeah. that's one of the two big clues that we get about their location in this book. Oh. Yeah, so I know I got I, I got a little stymied uh, a few books ago when, when stuff was just getting thrown at me uh, mm -hmm. by it. But so here's what we know so far definitively about their location. There's a radio observatory nearby. Yep. Rattlesnakes, anoles, 
and red-tailed hawks, at least rattlesnakes and red-tailed hawks, are indigenous to the area. A knoll, I guess, could be an escaped pet. They're sold pretty much everywhere. Hmm. It, it's got a tall building. They call it out as 56 stories that could be bending the truth to, to throw people off the track. But it's it's near a city with very tall buildings. It's mm-hmm. also near an animal park. And it's close to an ocean. Now, yes. initially, I was thinking that this moves it back to, like, Tampa. Because Tampa does have, I think, a 45-story building, which is a little off, but not terribly the problem, Close enough. The problem is the radio telescope. Mm. There are no radio telescopes in the continental United States that are coastal. Oh. oh. Yeah. There's several observatories in Florida, but radio telescopes, they tend to be clustered. Um, the closest one, I think, is in South Carol- uh, North Carolina or West Virginia, and they're both pretty far inland. Hmm. So... Given this radio observe, uh, this radio telescope is such a big deal in this book that they couldn't have just invented it whole cloth, probably. Right. I was hoping to avoid placing them in California, but oh, there is a radio telescope in Lafayette, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it is not coastal exactly, but. Everything else sort of fits. There are rattlesnakes that are indigenous to that area. Red-tailed hawks are native to that area. It's close to an ocean, and it it has tall buildings. And specifically, the Transamerica Pyramid is pretty close. It's, I think, in the the high 40s, low 50s in stories, and Mm -hmm. it looks badass. So I think my (laughs) headcanon right now is that the Candrona was at the top of the Transamerica Pyramid. That's a pretty good headcanon. I'm curious why you were resisting the West Coast. Oh, because everything's set in California and <laughs> mass media, because that's where all the writers live. Uh, especially in the 90s. Yeah, I was really hoping that it would be somewhere more atypical, but no, it's it's a CW show. <laughs> I mean, for some reason growing up, I also assumed it was on the East Coast, but that might be because... I had been to the East Coast more, so that was easier mm-hmm. for me to, to picture. I don't know. Well, California, huh? That's possible. It's a strong, strong possibility. Now, if we're willing to give them a much longer travel time to the radio telescope, then they could still be in one of the Carolinas or mm. even parts of Virginia, maybe. But uh, currently, the, the Bay Area, that whole set of counties is looking like the, the best bet. Now, we'll know for sure that it's not there if we ever have a book that involves snow. Oh, which we haven't so far. We have not. We have, we're only eight books in. And I, I feel like the books happen on kind of like, not exactly a weekly basis, although we do know this book was two weeks since book seven. So that would make sense. One week for the Megamorph mm-hmm. and then this week. I mean, it, it could we could just have not gotten to the season yet or maybe we never will. So there's a lot of little stuff in this book that that I know I wanted to talk about. I I was super amused by the story of Eslin and Durain, the <laughs> Yerk star-crust lovers. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, like Eslin, Eslin describes that Durain is the only Yerk he ever had feelings for, that they grew up together, and that they ended up getting different ranked, different rankings basically within the organization. And Visor 3 let Durain die and Eslin is gonna fucking get Visor 3 back for it because fucking everybody hates Visor 3 everybody hates Visor 3 
Now, this is the first indication that we've seen so far that Yerks have romantic interactions. Yeah, interactions is a nice gentle word for it because it the Ezlin doesn't use the word love. The closest he really gets is to say feelings, like this is the only creature I've had feelings for, mm-hmm. um, which is nice and ambiguous. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was also interesting that he refers to Doraine as she. Uh, I think we've talked a little bit about what I remember of Yurk reproduction. I did not think that they had genders. Uh, what I remember is that in order to like create new Yurks, three Yurks get together and then become one mass and then split apart to a bunch of different Yurks. Do you remember that? Is that something? I, it definitely could be. I do not remember. Because I have very firm memories about that. Because I, I remember being very confused about whether, as a kid, whether or not that meant there were three Yurk genders or, like, what does that even mean? Because uh, since, since as we know now, thanks to Judith Butler theorizing that uh, gender is upheld by reproduction and vice versa. So, I don't know. Are, are you certain that this isn't from, like, an Animorph Lemon fic that you stumbled on? <laughs> I'm absolutely positively not certain. It could very, very definitely be a fan theory that just sounded right or made sense or that I read and then forgot the source of. But I think that's a really interesting insight to sort of the Yerk inner workings. Because we don't, I mean, yeah, like you said, they're they're all kind of vague, sinister, evil creatures up to this point. We haven't really ever gotten an indication that they have relationships with each other that aren't just overtly adversarial, as everybody's relationship is with Visor 3. Yeah, he's a bad example, perhaps, as the main Yerk that the books focus on. Weirdly enough, for the first book we have that's entirely from an Andalite's POV, it does a lot to humanize the Yerks as an adversary. Yeah, which I appreciate. I feel like that's sort of inevitably going to happen, the, the further we get along in these books. Sure, I didn't necessarily expect it to happen in the first book written by someone who, like, hates Yerks to the core of his being. Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a, it, there's a lot of change for Axe in this book. He, he's coming over a lot of the, let's say, Andalite indoctrination, if you'd, if you'd say that. It, 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 there's a lot of very military cultish leanings in the Andalite societies that he, he has to overcome in this, to a certain extent, and, and, and has to learn to sort of open up and trust the Animorphs and sort of become an Animorphs. He hasn't, he's kind of been outside of the Animorphs up until this point. Yeah, we, we talked about during the Megamorphs episode that both he and the rest of the Animorphs specifically call him out separately from them when they're listing off the Animorphs. And I feel like this book explores where that comes from an awful lot. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a lot clearer. It wasn't really clear to me before why he was being kept so separate, other than the fact that he's a literal alien. But I think this makes it clear that he he is trying to learn about humans in a very distant, analytical sort of way so that he can become an expert. But he's not really, he's not given out what he's taken in. Right, he's been holding the rest of them sort of at arm's length. Yeah, even, even Tobias, his, God, what was the word? Shorm. 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 Yeah, Tobias his Shorm, which is the Andalite word for like BFF. Also Tailblade. Yeah, okay. Yeah, literally it's for the Tailblade because you're supposed to be able to hold your blade up to your Shorm's friend and they trust you and vice versa. Let's talk for a minute about the little brief interlude where Axe is Jake in this book. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, so the, the rest of the Animorphs, various points in this book spend time trying to 
bond with Axe somewhat to get him to open up. And Cassie's idea is to invite him to dinner. And man, she is really like barreling full speed ahead into being fine with morphine sentience. Yeah. She, yeah. On, on her suggestion, rather than morph the quote, quote unquote Philip, the uh, human form uh, made up of all the other animorphs that Axe uses, she specifically is like, nah, just be Jake. Just be Jake. Which is extra weird because they, like, Cassie and Jake at this point are, like, for sure dating, romancing. It's, and like, I don't, I mean, maybe her parents don't know that, but isn't that super weird? It's weird in a lot of ways. It is not implied at any point that she, like, ran this by Jake first. No, no. It seems to be pretty off the cuff. And that's, I mean, that seems like another weird violation. This, it, it, maybe not as much of a violation as drinking somebody's blood when you're a flea and you're on their back, but it's up there. Well, and it's especially because it was like, what, four books ago that she was just really torn up about morphing dolphins because they're smart. Yeah, and even in the mega mega uh, megamorph, there's that moment where she's like, well, whales are sentient, so maybe I shouldn't, but also I'm gonna. It's been a very fast fall for, for Cassie from being uncomfortable ethically with this idea to apparently being just totally fine with it yeah and it seems like that scene wouldn't have would not have been much different if axe had just used his uh blended philip form like i don't know what would have been different about that scene if he hadn't been jake specifically so what else is there to cover Let's talk about Visser 3's host body. Yeah, so after after the host is poisoned, Visser 3 bails because he's a yerk and he can just do that from a body and slips into a stream. I have a lot of questions about how they're going to find him because like, can the yerks even communicate outside of bodies? Like they must have some, they must have some ability to communicate, but I don't know what, we haven't really seen what yet. I mean, how does he avoid getting eaten by a trout? Yeah, a, a very funny and tragic end. And then Axe has to track down that trout and kill him because it took his revenge. <laughs> So after after the Yerk, after Visor 3 bails from the body, we get to talk to Aloran, who is, which is the name of the Andalite that has been controlled all these years. The one Andalite that has ever been taken alive. Whew. Yeah, and we learned that he was, he was a war prince. Yeah, he was a war prince, and he uh, explains to them that he has a wife and two daughters, and who are presumably still alive. We don't really get a timeline for how long he's been controlled or or how long his you know family might have lived for but he he begs he begs axe to kill him and put him out of his horrible horrible misery right and he's poisoned at the time he doesn't have the strength to kill himself yeah to use his own tail blade to kill himself and they don't they don't kill him they don't they don't kill him and they don't save him they Bail. Which is so strange because you would think if Axe has to like work down this shame of taking the fall for Ciro's kindness being broken, that removing the one Andalite to have ever been controlled would be like a, a big plus in the wins column. Right? Like it's gotta be it, it's gotta be embarrassing for the Andalites every time they see Visor 3 flaunting that beautiful torsoless Andalite body. Like it's gotta be horrible for them every time. And here <laughs> Axes finally has the opportunity. Uh, and he just he nothing. Just nothing. Just nothing. And they don't and it's like 
Presumably, if the Andalite, if Aloran had morphed, it would have negated the poison, right? Is that how that would work? We do have the scene from uh, the book where they morph roaches at the hospital with Jake morphing out of roach shape. But that might just have been because his larger human form would need a much larger dose of roach poison to kill him. Well, I mean... Rachel grew back hands, but it's possible that the blood doesn't change all that much. We also don't know what the hell happens to the food in their stomachs when they morph. Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I thought about this when Axe was eating all those raisinets and stuff. I thought, can Andalites metabolize chocolate? Does it matter? Ooh, he's going to break out later. He shouldn't eat all that chocolate at once. Right, like if, if Jake scarfs down a Snickers and then morphs into a dog, is he poisoned now? Oh. That's that's a really good question. Yeah, and like when they transform, when Jake transformed a lizard, when he was human, was he digesting a spider in his stomach? Mm, good question. That's a yeah, that's a very good question that did not get answered in this book because there is no body horror in this book, and that is body horror. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyway, I guess point is we we do not yet know much about how poison works, vis a vis morphine technology. Yeah, but the fact that they don't put him out of his misery, it like it it I I I mean I assume Axe really wants to save him and, and that is going to be his herohood, but oh, like what's going to be left of this this Andalite dude when if they if if they ever get the chance to free him? Well, Axe was ready to kill him minutes earlier. I mean, he was ready to kill Vizzer 3. We don't know yet if killing the host body actually kills the yerk that hasn't been established oh that's true yeah no that's a really good point it it does seem weird that axe poisoned visor three and then bailed without actually waiting to see if the yerk separates from the body now if if they'd shown much like strategic thought so far about this i could understand it because the one argument i can see for leaving aloran alive is that if you take out his andalite host everybody already hates viscer three they're just looking for an excuse (laughs) to get rid of him and if you get rid of viscer three then somebody competent might be put in charge of the invasion and once you have to fight somebody who knows what they're doing instead of fucking cobra commander suddenly your guerrilla war becomes a lot harder. That's true. And I mean, they might they might want to use Aloran as a resource because like, especially like moments before the end of this chapter, and we don't ever get to see the Animorphs escape, but presumably they do. But Aloran indicates that the Yerks have infiltrated the Andalite homeworld. <sighs> what? Yeah. That's a big drop. So, so Visser 3's uh, only Andalite to ever be taken reputation actually is a bluff. Oh, you think that they've they've actually infiltrated other Andalites? How else would they have infiltrated the Andalite homeworld? Well, I just assumed that they that maybe there were other animals because we know that there are a few other animals on the Andalite home planet. I assumed that the Yurks might be in those bodies. Hmm, I suppose that's possible. Yeah, I, I just assumed that they were in whatever the Andalite equivalent of like a dog is. <laughs> And and maybe that there was like a band of five plucky dog controllers on the Andalite homeworld doing exactly what the Animorphs are trying to do in reverse. The Andalite equivalent of dogs are little <laughs> tan, skinless things that walk Aww. on two legs and definitely have torsos. <laughs> They've got three torsos and they walk on hind legs. Gr- good and horrible. <laughs> 
But shit, no, that's a big, that is a big revelation. It just gets sort of dropped in the middle of, of the end of the book, and then they never come back to it. Yeah, and we get this, there's a, a bit at the end where Axe meets again with Eslin, the Yurk, I guess, betrayer, the betrayer of Visor 3, at least. Saboteur is what I've been calling him. Yeah, that's fair. The saboteur, Yurk, Eslin, uh, there's a, a section at the end where they meet, but I don't think Axe tells the whole world that it's, there's an infiltration? No, uh, he just, he gives a big speech about how the humans are his people now, and he's going to tell them whatever he wants, because you're not even his real dad. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that really is basically it. Uh, he tells off Lyrum, the, uh, the Andalite that made him flip and take, uh, take blame for his brothers breaking the law. Yeah, unless it's included in the little paragraph where he just mentions that he has a, a message for Aloran's wife. And I don't know why they yeah. wouldn't. It seems like a weird oversight. Like maybe maybe it didn't really register to Axe in the same way yeah. that it registered to us reading it. Oof. I mean, that would, yeah, it was a stressful moment. Or it, it's possible that it that X did send word and we just don't see that part specifically because ka does like to drop those little things which that sort of reward close reading which i think is nice for a young adult novel to to be so rewarding of, of close reading for that especially as an adult who also feels good about herself for noticing yeah it's it's certainly great for our middle-aged person podcast yeah yeah it makes me feel real good about <laughs> us and our, our detail noticing abilities <laughs> But yeah, that seems like a, um, a real big thing that the Andalites should be concerned about. <laughs> uh, the only other thing that I think we really wanted to talk about is the Andalites' communication. Because they apparently don't know until Axe give them this, gives them this call like weeks mm. after he arrives that the single Andalite dome ship in the Sol system is no longer a thing. Yeah, they seem surprised to hear that it it gone. It's gone. Yeah, and, and you sort of brought this up when we were talking about the Yerks having taken over entire civilizations without the Andalites mm -hmm. noticing. And that sort of points towards this idea. I mean, obviously, the Andalites have faster than light communication. Axie uses it. It's a major plot point in this book. Right. But I think maybe they don't typically communicate intersystem, and I have a theory about why. Oh, lay it on me. Axe makes a big deal out of how rigidly hierarchical the Andalite military structure is. Everyone has someone above them, and you have to like just do what they say and take their orders. And my, my theory is that in order to be effective in a remote location, like if they were in constant communication with the homeworld, they'd be running everything by their, their prince above them. Oh, funny. So it's like an intentional, we don't communicate to the homeworld world much so that we can actually make decisions here without having to run it up the chain and back down that actually makes a lot of sense especially like given towards the end of the book axe doesn't tell jake about his plan to go attack visor three because he thinks that jake will say no you can't do that he's worried that jake will order him not to yeah so he just doesn't tell him <laughs> and that's really funny which maybe is part of <laughs> Like their military strategy, and that's why nobody on the homeworld is chuffed that they haven't heard from this dome ship uh, that was going to Earth for months. Yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah, it 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 seemed weird to me that there there's a part in the book where they're talking when they're talking about Siru's kindness that 
Isiru gave the Yurks this special space-faring technology, and then, oh, whoops, they took over a planet. They took over a whole species, and we didn't even realize it. Um, so that kind of makes sense. Yeah, like, maybe Siru was there trying to, with his finger in the dam, trying to, to block the Yurks, and he just didn't tell the rest of the Andalites until it was too late. Right, because they might have just said nuke him from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. <sighs> yeah, it's it's possible. We know the Andalites are going to do some some dirty some dirty deeds in the future and it sort of it sort of tracks with like like the the idea that their biggest law is named Ciro's kindness rather than like Ciro's folly is also an interesting reflection on the fact that Andalites first of all value their intelligence and their intelligence over other species a lot but also is indicating that they seem to view kindness as a negative trait and so they have named their most strict and horrifying shameful act and law on kindness. Right, and Lyrum kind of talks about it that way when he's talking to Axe is, you know who else was kind once? You know who else was yeah. just doing what he thought was right? Yeah, and that's a pretty, that's pretty fucked up. That's a pretty fucked up perspective on kindness and, and helping, and I'm really glad that Axe gets his very special moment at the end where <laughs> he, he opens up and shares with his friends. After this book, Axe really is one of the Animorphs. There's not five Animorphs plus one alien anymore. Yeah, no, he's really, he's really part of the group that would be a beautiful note to end on but i still want to talk about the fact that axe mentions that plenty of alien species wear clothes but andalites don't obviously so i thought that was the funniest fucking image because the only thing i could think of was taxons wearing like cable knit tube sweaters and with like tiny little holes for their tiny little caterpillar arms Oh, see, I'm picturing Taxons in, like, shorts and suspenders with little bowler hats. <laughs> or, like, like Yerks in, like, the kind of clothing that people put their cats and dogs in. <laughs> but you just on their, on their little Yerks. <laughs> the little lobster costume that you always see the corgis wearing, <laughs> but with a big slug in it. <laughs> Oh, it's so good why don't the andalites wear clothing why don't they have shame like humans send us this fan art do not do not <laughs> send us fan art about andalites not wearing clothing please god do not send oh, us that no send us all of these other delightful and whimsical aliens wearing clothing <laughs> like they think they're people yeah, actually, if you could send us Andalites with extra clothing, if you could send us a picture of an Andalite, I, I'm probably going to Photoshop an Andalite with a bow tie and a mustache. Oh, God, make sure it doesn't have a torso. We'll put it up on AndaliteTruth.org. AndaliteTruth.org. <laughs> You've been lied to. Seek the truth. AndaliteTruth.org. <laughs> Perfect. <sighs> <laughs> I'm still outraged that they keep seeing people losing their yurks and they just do nothing. Like they're just proud of themselves and they don't do shit to help those people. I'm outraged. I'm outraged. Like they see they see the dude in the in the mall. Clearly his yurk is dying and he's about to be freed and they're just like, oh hey, we did it. Oh hey, we did the thing. Good good for us. He'll be fine. We'll just let him go. Except for Axe, they didn't know that someone was just gonna come up and murder that dude. They should have though. Rachel should have known. And here's the thing. Other than Hecate, <laughs> they do not know. Like, they're pretty sure, right, that all the rest of the people that they tried to save just got reinfected. So if they yeah. act like they know what's going on to any of these people, it's going to come back. And and you see that 
that teacher, Jake is like, it's cool. I've been one. You're going to get through this. And what a bad idea. So Axe Axe and Jake witness Mr. Pardue like losing it. And by it, I mean losing his yerk. And then Jake rushes up and is like, hey, it's cool. We all we know about him. I was one and it's totally fine. Look at me. I'm, I'm totally fine now. Yeah. He's like, hey, Mr. Pardue, you know my last name and all of my friends. Also, Principal <laughs> Chapman's right there. Best case scenario, you're getting another yerk in your head. It doesn't. I mean, I, I definitely see why they didn't feel like they could help. It, it just seems weird to me that they don't even try. It, it, the same way it seemed weird to me that they didn't try with Aloran. Like, they just sort of, like, let him go. They don't kill him or try to help him more than they do. At least that we see. But I, I'm glad you mentioned Hecate, because Hecate, you know. I mean, I feel like Hecate's maybe been able to get one or two out. Like, I feel like she was in the right place, right time. And then there was, like, one of those 90s style, high-stakes escape situations where she's, like, trying to drag this dude half along like you're gonna be all right we just gotta get you out of here as soon as she figures out that they're letting the lower ranked yurks die off she's got Mm. some inside knowledge of that so she knows who to be looking after there's definitely yeah the yurk hierarchy is really coming into play with who they're letting die of course hecate's gonna help them the yurks already know who she is she doesn't have anything to lose absolutely not the only thing she has to lose is that they know that she's still alive i guess but they probably know they probably know she's been counterhacking them this whole time i don't know they seem pretty oblivious to it yeah and also to everything honestly before it was revealed that this whole thing was a yerk saboteur uh i i thought it was gonna be hecate oh that would have been so fucking good right yeah she sees yeah she sees the changes x made to marco's dad's software and is like oh that could that could only be <gasps> That would have been so fucking good in the in the missing or alternate scenes version fanfic of this book that I'm writing. It'll be it'll be Hecate. It'll be their first contact. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. The only other comment I had about this book is that Rachel and Axe seem to actually be on a similar wavelength. And I wonder if that's because Rachel has a very much a warrior mentality, which is the same culture that Axe is coming from. Yeah, I mean, she does have that, like, Sun Tzu vision board. Fuck, God, that's so fucking good. <laughs> it's good every time. Every time you mention it and I remember it, it's good every time. Yeah, yeah, they do. You're right. They do seem like they have a very similar uh, wavelength. Rachel, of all of them, seems the most likely to uh, declare a blood vendetta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything ever happened to, to Tobias, you know, she, she's fun to fucking wreck shop. <laughs> if, if he's ever bar- barbecued and she eats them (laughs) but yeah there are a couple there are a couple moments where like rachel seems to be aware that these x controllers are in danger even though it doesn't seem to occur to anybody else and she correctly guesses that in it to quote to quote her that the humans are too primitive to be real warriors and axe is like yeah that's that's more or less it like you're (laughs) you're too primitive for us to trust you and give you weapons and shit but even that was surprising because they don't they don't really have much interaction in this book uh i think she's the only one that doesn't get like a a scene with axe because we get cassie and axe going to dinner marco takes axe to a bookstore which i quite like we don't actually see them get to bookstore but he like meets marco's dad Tobias and Axe, of course, are BFFs. So we see them. And and I guess we do we get a Jake and Axe specific scene? I mean, they're in class together. Oh yeah, they have that they have that whole section. But but Rachel and Axe don't have have a scene like that. We sort of got the sense, I thought, in this book that Rachel did not fully trust Axe and was probably
probably a little more angry at him for keeping stuff back than the others. It's true. I think her her anger is pretty much totally justified. Oh, yeah, no disagreement here. Uh, But maybe, yeah, she's she's maybe not the HR person you would send in to smooth (laughs) over those trust issues. That's fair. She has a role in the group and it's not that one. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So in this book, we find out that when Axe was playing Jake for three days when Jake was a controller and they were starving as Yurk, that he acted so weird that when Jake got back, his parents sent him to therapy. Mm. Which I thought was really funny at first, but then I started thinking about it. And he doesn't know that that controller, that that therapist isn't a controller. So he's like in the one place that in his like destroyed PTSD ridden mental state (sighs) could really fucking help. Like he's just been through a super traumatic experience he this could really help but he can't talk about it i mean even if even if he knew that his therapist wasn't a controller and he and like you said he has no way of knowing like you he couldn't he couldn't tell them right because they would i mean they'd probably try to prescribe him or 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 i don't know try to get him the sort of help that he doesn't actually need yeah yeah they'd they'd lock him up they they would take it as a a symptom of a, a severe psychotic break. And, and Jake needs help. He needs therapy so badly, but that's not the kind that he needs. All of them need some talk therapy very badly. <sighs> yeah, except for Axe, who's having a, a, a mildly angsty slapdash comedy time. <laughs> Fucking poor, poor Jake. God, that's grim. Right? Like dying of thirst in the middle of an ocean. Ugh. Ugh. These poor fucking kids. Axe is not the only child soldier the Andalites have fielded against the Yerks. Oh, man. And that'll do it for us this week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, As always, thank you to Dustin O'Dell for the theme music. Uh, We're on Tumblr and we're on Twitter at Fandalites. Uh, We also have a website, Fandalites.com. So if you're not following us on social media, that's where we're posting all of our fan art. Uh, and if you have fan art of your own, we're just dying to see it. Uh, I spent a lot of time looking at fan art on Tumblr, and it's very <laughs> satisfying. Yeah, please, please email it to us, fandalites at gmail.com. Uh, and as always, if you're enjoying this, uh, please do like and review and subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, get get your reading circle in on this. Uh, and go ahead and read the books with us, because we're having a heck of a good time. Next week, we'll be doing book nine, The Secret. So get up on that. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Just this. Nostalgia is a drug. You enjoyed that, huh? Yeah, it was really good. (laughs) Oh, welcome to Fandalites. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, 